Well, welcome everyone this morning. Ooh, we got a buzz. Uh, I love seeing this. Like we, we, we have the kids in here and then there's like a massive empty seats which represent all of our little ones which are now back in the, their spaces worshiping God with their teachers. And um, I don't know, I just, I love, I love seeing all these uh, empty seats after the, uh, after the kids go out. Uh, so, um, welcome to Grassroots. My name is Keith. I'm the leading teaching pastor here. Uh, if this is your first time today, welcome. Uh, this is a good day to, to be here. We're launching out uh, in a second week in a series on Jesus, talking about following him and following him through his life. I'll get more into that today. But if, if this is your first time today, there's lots to discover, lots to explore. There's an info piano in the back with all the information you might need to know about Grassroots, who, who it is, uh, who this community is, is what, what it's about. And uh, if you missed it, there's a lunch today for you to learn more at 12 o'clock afterwards. So I hope that you guys can make it if, if you're new. Um, so this week at Grassroots, I was trying to take a little tally of all the amazing things that I saw happening that is, uh, in this community. All of the small things now that not everyone would see, but I might, as the pastor, I might get the little privileged perspective to see, or some of you may know about these things. But, I mean, you know, talking about uh, people from all over the world coming and finding shelter in your homes. There, there are people this week from... Hungary, Japan, and from South Africa, who were looking for a place to call home here for a while, and you guys provided it. Uh, you, um, there's, there's internships happening here. There's people meeting together for the first time in home groups. There's people meeting together for discipleship groups. There's people, um, leaders, leaders here, kind of planning the ministry. There's so much happening, so much behind the scenes, it's hard to see. Uh, the gig leaders have been meeting, getting ready for the, the youth group to, to launch off this week. And, and for some people this week, this week has been a really, really difficult week. I know because I've talked to you, and uh, this week has, has been a heartbreaking week for some, and yet I've stood back and watched the community rally around people who are in very vulnerable spots and share love and tenderness and care together. And it's amazing to watch, and, and I was just thinking of all these things, um, this idea that grassroots is a place that wants to shelter vulnerable people is such at the heartbeat of, of who this group, this community is, and I've seen it time and time again this week. And, and I was thinking back to a couple weeks ago, the church did a, a retreat, which was out at Camp Aurora, which was the first kind of experiment of getting the community outdoors in a place where we could do some fellowship and discipleship out in the great outdoors. This is the love of this community. And, uh, and how, you know, the, the big question is, how can we keep doing that? How can we keep getting out in the natural world together? And in a way, too, that eventually may be bring vulnerable people who may not have a chance to get outdoors into those spaces. So anyway, stay tuned for more on this. I just hope this continues to develop at Grassroots. But all that to say, at the retreat, there was a moment um, where something happened, and it sort of fits perfectly into a segue into the, the sermon this morning. Uh, but but here, here's what happened. I was playing volleyball and climbing a tree, and, uh, and I got down from that, and I thought, oh, I haven't seen my daughter Autumn in a while. She's my six-year-old who can be quite courageous and get lost very easily, and I got a little bit nervous. You know, and whenever my girls are with my parents down, you know, where, where they live, I'm always re reminding my parents, like, don't lose my kids. <laughs> and they're always like, we didn't lose you, did we? It's okay. Uh, but 
I had that, that bit of panic that came over me, like, oh no, where's Autumn? I haven't seen her. And so I, I bustled around, and finally I found her playing with some, some kids, and there was an adult nearby just kind of knowing intuitively to look over their shoulder and make sure the kids were okay. And there was this lovely sense that um, even though the, the kids were kind of all running about, the, the, the community of adults kind of knew to take care of the kids and keep their eye. And actually, I even heard a story a couple weeks ago of, of, of a grass reader who lost their kids at a public event and by the time, the, by the time their, their kid was found, they, were, you know, they came over the PA system, so-and-so, we've lost such-and-such, first-name little girl. And by the time that, that that parent got to the place where the kids were, there was already three grassrooters at the same event who knew the, that, which kid it was, who were there first. And I love this. I love this idea of a community of people sheltering vulnerable people, looking out for each other, making sure that we're cared for. And this fits in because we're going to talk about the time today when Jesus got lost when he was 12, and he ran off, and uh, the holy family, mother and father, lost. So that, that should give us some comfort, right, if we lose our kids. Like, the holy mother Mary lost Jesus at one point. So um, anyway, you know, talk about this. You know, the, the reason why we're studying Jesus this year, the reason why we're diving in for 40-some weeks on discovering Jesus is because he teaches us. He teaches us to shelter vulnerable people. He teaches us how to follow him in his way, to look out for people when there's people who are needy or hurting or lost or, hurt or lonely, how to, how to surround them with a community, around them with love. So we, we study Jesus because he teaches us. He teaches us how to do this. And so um, as we get into the series uh, this week, I'm just going to remind us, if you, if you missed the first installment, which was last week, you can find it online, uh, the podcast. You go online and there's a click... A button on top that says messages, and you'll find last week's. You can follow along there if you missed, missed one or we missed some. Inevitably, if there's 40-some sermons on Jesus, you're going to miss one, right? The answer is no. We'll be here every week. So you can find it online. Um, so anyway, all that to say, uh, kind of wrapping our minds around Jesus. Last week, I talked about Jesus. If we really take him in, if we really understand what he was doing in his day, we recognize that he came as king. Jesus came as a king to his people, and they weren't the kind of king that they really wanted. They were disturbed by the way he was talking about his kingship. And so ultimately, they, they, they missed him. And Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey as a king to fulfill the great hundreds-year-old promise that, a, that Israel's king would come riding in on a donkey. And the people who were supposed to be his, his people, the people who were supposed to take care of him and shelter him, were the very ones who said, uh, we have to find a way to kill him. This is too much. We don't, we don't like him. And we talked about how Jesus should disturb us, even today, because he comes as a king who wants to talk about every part of our lives, wants to be every part of who we are. And um, in, in particular, uh, we, we talk about, um, talked about sort of um, these ideas, while they may be kind of straightforward to us, while we might understand a little bit about Jesus in this way, that he's scandalous. He's a scandalous guy. And it's going to take some 40 weeks, 42 weeks, I think, to unpack what we mean by this. Because, you know, for, for some of us, we might think of a Jesus who's, who who's just sort of embraces us and tells us everything we want about ourselves. And, and he just sort of reinforces everything we already believe. But Jesus comes in, and he breaks into our world, and he says, there are things that you don't know about the world or yourself that I want to free you from. There are things about the world that I want to, to, to free you into. So for today, we're going to run through some um, basic biographical points on Jesus. I mean, we're going to start, and even though it's 40-some weeks long, we're going to start with some basic biographical things just to, to get a sense of who is the man because here's one of the main points that 
we, we need to think about when thinking about Jesus. Oops, my pointer's off. Turn on. Here we go. That, that the Jesus that is up in heaven, the one that we call Lord, who's, who's running the world today, this Jesus, with whom we seek intimacy, we seek intimacy with Jesus, is the Palestinian Jew who lived 2,000 years ago. And we can miss that because what are, you know, we have this love, these lovely ideas about getting to know Jesus, who he is, getting to be in fellowship with him. But where we start is what we know about the man that lived 2,000 years ago. So uh, as, as we go through this, like I said, we're going to do this uh, in a way that ta- talks through the story of his life when he was 12 years old and he was in uh, Jerusalem at a festival and his parents left him behind. Now to, to, get, to get into the story, one of the things we have to sort of begin thinking about is Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph are key players in the life of Jesus. Mary uh, was from a family of priests. Oh yeah, I have a picture here of him. I love this. I came across this online. Like, I have to show this to the church. This is like the hipster. It was called the hipster Jesus or hipster Mary and Joseph. <laughs> okay, we'll get to the real thing. <laughs> uh, so Mary and Joseph, these guys, are the ones who God chose to give as father and mother to, to our Lord. And we know about Mary that she's from a priestly family, which means that uh, her cousins, her extended family, were the people who were part of the tribe of Levi, and that means that they were the ones who were meant to uh, run the temple, run all that was going on with the worship life of Israel, and uh, she, she was part of this family of priests. Uh, Mary had some, uh, some cousins, one of them whose name was Elizabeth, who had a baby named John, who becomes John the Baptist. And Jesus and John the Baptist, even though they're just they're what, first, second cousins or something like that, but they become really close friends. And Jesus gets heartbroken in the middle of his ministry when John is killed. So uh, this is Mary's family. And Joseph, Joseph, uh, you know, we, we read the story of the angel Gabriel coming to Mary and saying, I'm going to give you a child in your womb, and it's not going to be conceived like children are normally conceived. And Mary, Mary ultimately says, how can this be since I have not been together with a man? And, and um, the angel Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you'll be pregnant with child. And her response was, was beautiful, may it be unto me as you have said, I am your servant. This is like the most, one of the most horrific, shameful things that's about to happen from her, to her in her life and God's going to do it. And she says, okay, do it to me. And then the next thing that happens is that Joseph finds out. He's like engaged to Mary, and he finds out she's pregnant, and he's like, I'm calling this thing off. This is, this, this is not the type of life I've asked for myself. And then an angel comes to him and says, Joseph, you're, 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 Mary is with child by the Holy Spirit. Stay with her, protect her, shelter her, comfort her. And you know what he says? Okay. This is not the life I've chosen for myself, but I'll do it. And we, and we see at the very beginning of Jesus' life, he choo- God chooses two people that have the softest, most abandoned hearts that we can imagine to God. And, and Jesus is going to need this because at some point he's going to be in a garden in Gethsemane praying to, praying to God, God, take this impending death that I'm about to die, take it away from me because I don't want it. I, it, it breaks my heart to know that I'm going to have to suffer in this way. And you know what you know ultimately Jesus says? But not my will 
but yours be done. Can you see Mary and Joseph coming through there? His parents taught him how to abandon himself to God. So uh, what's also true about Joseph is he was a descendant, like a 500 years later descendant of King David, which means, like, think about that. So we have uh, Queen Elizabeth, Prince Charles, Prince William, and now Prince George in the line of succession to the English throne. Now fast forward 500 years from now, which is like, I don't know, you do the math. I can't do the math right on the spot. 2,500 and something, 400 something. So imagine you're, we're, we're then, and one of Queen Elizabeth's, Queen, King George's descendants, that's Joseph. I mean, he was a descendant to the throne, except at this time the throne had gone defunct, and there is no, more, no longer England. It just didn't, didn't really mean anything in terms of actual power. But he was from the line, um, the line of Judah, and David was one of his ancestors. So we know that, and that becomes important because when Israel's waiting for a king and Jesus shows up on the doorstep, he's actually, in his family, part of the line of kings. So it's important to know as we get to know Jesus and what he thought about himself because he knew this about himself. He knew what family he grew up in, a priestly family and a kingly family. So we know that every year... His parents were travelers. They loved to travel. They loved to go from Nazareth, which was a bit north of Jerusalem, and climb up the mountain. Jerusalem's north on, a map, on the map, or Jerusalem's on the map, and Nazareth is north. But we talk about them going up to Jerusalem, which means they climbed the hill. And they came, whoops. <laughs> there we go. They came to Passover. Um, every year, Jewish people would come, take their families, their extended families, their caravans, all the things that it would take to live and camp out for a week. It's like a week-long retreat every year at Passover time. And it was a harvest. They would take their harvest in, and they would go up with the best portion of it to Jerusalem, up these mountains every year, and camp out in Jerusalem and celebrate Passover. Now, if you, if you remember from last year when we were preaching, when I was preaching about Moses, or you remember your Old Testament, you know that Passover is a celebration that is remembering God's dramatic and amazing action to free them from slavery in Egypt. When God sent all the plagues on Egypt and ultimately struck down the firstborn of Egypt in order to free his people from the, the slavery of Egypt. And for Jewish people, that was like thousands and thousands of years ago by Jesus' time. But every year, every year they would remember it, and they'd come up to Jerusalem, and they'd sing the, the songs of ascent, which are in the Psalms. There's a number of Psalms that they'd sing, and it'd be deep in their heart, and they'd tell the story over and over again. Even though it doesn't seem like it now, God is a rescuer. God rescues his people. Remember that time, and they'd tell the story for 12 days, for 14, 12 or 14 days, 12 to 14 days, they'd tell the story. And by the end of the time, after this great retreat that they were on together, having all this uh, celebration, this, it's, you know, this great festival, you know, I think to myself, we celebrate Christmas and Easter as Christians, and it's like a day. Like, let's, let's next year, maybe, maybe it's too soon this year, next Easter, let's have a week-long celebration. Okay, so I'm just saying, these guys knew how to celebrate. So should we. Uh, so up they go. To, to remember God as a rescuer, bringing, you can see the, the first fruits here these guys are bringing up, up to Jerusalem, and they're going to worship God for a week. Now, we know that Jesus' family did it every year 
And Jesus is 12, so it probably happened every year of his life. So this is maybe 12th time. I don't know if you're a 12-year-old. Maybe you'll remember four or five times doing this before. Coming up to Jerusalem, seeing the beauty of God's temple, seeing people come from all over the world to remember thousands of years ago God rescuing his people and that he will do it again. And this gets deeply ingrained in Jesus. So up, up he comes, and it says in Luke 2, 41-46, Now every year... His parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual to the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents didn't know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey on towards Nazareth. And when it was bedtime, when it was time to call him in for, for bed... They started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find them, I wish that the Bible would have said, they freaked out. The Bible doesn't say that. When they did not find him, they probably freaked out, and they returned to Jerusalem, a whole day's journey to search for him. This would be like my worst nightmare, to, to go a day's journey and realize my little child, my 12-year-old, is not with us. I'd be horrified. I would be getting back to Jerusalem in like two hours, Come on, camel, or whatever you're riding. So you get back to the, the, uh, they, they try to get back to Jerusalem, try, try to uh, get back to Jesus who, who they can't find. Now, uh, one of the things that sort of is important to talk about here is, um, you know, all of this was done in, in a culture where community was so important, where community held up each other and community and, and close relatives were, um, were, were, were caring for, for the church or for, for the people of God. Now, you think about this community. This community has a lot of people who come from various places and come from various different parts of the world and don't have their family with them. And I love this about this community because there is a sense here that when, 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 you, when you engage, that someone goes back and takes care of the crying child. Um, that when you engage, the community circles around and, and becomes part of that family structure. So I think I just want to keep encouraging that in this community to grow and to grow and to grow so we can find places to, to, to shelter our vulnerable people. So all that to say, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and answers. So three days. Three days they're searching in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, I've been to Jerusalem. Jerusalem you can get around in about six hours. Explore the whole old city. I'm like, what were you guys doing for three days? Like, where were you looking? They must have been looking in all, under all of the wrong places. On, you know, has he been kidnapped? Has he been sold into the slave trade? Has, has he been taken off by Roman soldiers? Is he in the fortress of Antonia where the Roman soldiers are? Where is this child? Can you imagine three days, the first day, getting back and not finding him, going to bed at nighttime, realizing my son could be anywhere. Second day, same thing. And the third day, they thought, well, let's check the temple because maybe, maybe Jesus is there. And when they did, they found him at the temple. And you got to love this. Jesus is in awe of the temple. He's asking questions that the elders of his people are amazed by. And he was giving some answers that they were amazed with. This means that Jesus, as a child, loved the scriptures. 
He just devoured Israel's scriptures so much that they became so much part of him that even the religious authorities, who were the great scholars, were amazed at some of his teachings. So we see he's a bit of a prodigy when it comes to wisdom. At a very early age, um, he was an early bloomer, he was able to ask key questions and engage with adults on some of the most hard topics. Some of your kids do that with me. I really love that. Hands get raised, (laughs) mid-service. Pulling me aside, uh, pulling me aside. And some of your, your kids have like questions that they ask. I'm like, that, wow, that is a really great question. So Jesus, he was one of these early bloomers. He's taught to read Israel's ancient scriptures. And we know from just the, of the culture that he probably grew up um, working with Joseph. He was, a, he was a construction guy. He built houses and furniture and, and did carpentry. And probably he built some Roman crosses. That's what carpenters did in that day. So here's Jesus at 12. He's part of the family business, and yet something inside of him caused him to stay at the temple and disobey his parents and begin exposing to the religious authorities his great wisdom at a young age. It says, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. I love this. I wish the translators could just be more powerful, not powerful in this. And when his parents saw him, they were P.O.'d. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. Like these, this should give us a lot of comfort, parents. Like Mary and Joseph, they went off the rails here. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I see myself in this. Why have you treated us like this? Not, oh, you're okay. Oh, I'm so glad you're all right. Why, why did you do this to us? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. And Jesus said to them (laughs) with his lippiness, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? He said this is a very profound thing. But it says they didn't understand the time. They didn't understand the weight of what Jesus was talking about. Even though Mary knew that Jesus had no earthly father, she didn't understand even him when he said, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. And we begin seeing that Jesus not only is wise at a very young age, but he's a very profound sense of intimacy with God. He sees him not just as a faraway deity who you have to please. He sees God as his father. Something very profound, something that we should take in. Uh, Because he invites us, if you read all the Gospels, he invites us to think of God the Father in the same way. My Father's house, spending time with him. There's one translation that says, didn't you know I have to be among my Father's people? And we get a sense that not only did he love God, but he loved Israel. He loved his people. He loved the people who he called his own. But they don't understand him. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. So Jesus grows up in in Nazareth, in Galilee, in the place where, there's lots of history here, I'll I'll give you some next time, in a place where uh, there was already a king. There was a place where uh, King King Herod's greats the, the, the Herodian line of kingship is so convoluted, I, I still struggle with it. It was his grandson, Great Herod's grandson, 
ruling over um, Galilee. And Jesus is about to, to burst into ministry on this scene that's going to make himself make wild claims about his kingship in the face of people who were already ruling there. So he grew up in Nazareth and was obedient to them. And we love this. Jesus was obedient. Uh, there was obedience there, not just lippiness. Um, but we know that ultimately, this is all we really know about his early life. We know that as a baby what happened to him, but this was like the one story of all the of 12 years, 18 years, 33 years, like another, another 20 years is going to pass before we get to know more about Jesus. And this is the one story that we have. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years, it says. All that time he was increasing in wisdom. He was pouring himself over the scriptures, putting himself around wise people, growing up. And not only did God favor him and, and delight in him, but the people around him did too. Now, I hope I can say this about my child, children. They're going to grow in wisdom and years and divine and human favor. Yes, please, God. Um, so, but, but here's a little bit more about him, just as we, we launch out. He never traveled outside the Middle East. There was a time when some Greeks came to him and wanted him to come and teach in their, their classes in Greek, Greece, but he never went outside of uh, the, the Middle East. He never married. He had no children. He chose to live a celibate single life. This is very profound. Think about this. Of all of, all of the in divine human favor, of all of the, the women he could have chosen as a, as a wife, he decided to say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay single. I have no children. But sometime from obscurity, from out of all these years of mist, comes Jesus into public attention, sometimes in the 20s or, or 30s uh, AD. His, his ministry was crammed into about three years. His ministry, you know, all that we read about him from this point forward, we, all we know is the three years before he died. And that we know that at some point he was picked up by the authorities, sentenced to death, and was crucified on a Roman cross like thousands of other Jews that were in his situation. He was executed on the charge of being a rebel. And um, this happened during the Passover time. Some 30 years after this. Jesus loved the Passover. He loved going up to Jerusalem. He, he loved it so much he stayed there. And someday during the same festival, 30 years later, he would be killed at the same festival. He wrote nothing. And all we have are four Gospels that are dense and complex. And yet, here we are, 2,000 years later, and millions upon millions upon millions of people worship him as God. So what does this say to us? This says that this is an intriguing guy, a guy who we should come to know and love because not only this, but we also believe he's going to play a very crucial role in turning this world upside down and inside out and making it right. All the ways that the world's not right, all the ways that there's pain and sorrow and sickness and relational strife and hurts and disappointment and death, all of this is going to be undone when Jesus comes, we believe. When this guy who is the same guy who lived 2,000 years ago, comes back, we believe is going to play a key role in all of this. And so what does this mean for us? Why does this matter to us? Why do millions of people worship this guy? Well, one of the things is because his, early, his followers, once he died, began saying some very profound things about him, like this, First John. And we know the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. 
And we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. Elsewhere, people in the same community, uh, John community who wrote the gospel said, this guy was like truth. All we can say about him is like, he was like truth and grace incarnate. When you hung out with him, all the things that made you the worst version of yourselves disappeared. He somehow is able to see so truthfully into your, our lives when he was with us that we, it's like we became the pe- people we didn't even imagine we could become. It was like being around someone that you just wanted to spend eternity with. That, that's how good a friend he was. He gave us understanding. When life was so muddled and so unclear and so misty and so complex, when he comes into our life, it's like, okay, we have understanding. How about this? In, in Paul's writings in Philippians, I count everything as loss in my life because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in death if somehow I might attain the resurrection from the dead. Think about this. What, what, is, what is so important in our lives? Family, safety, Food, success, maybe a bit of notoriety, getting to be someone. What are you spending your time and your energy investing in right now? Sports, watching TV, getting, out, getting the next promotion. This person, Paul says, it's like this. Jesus is so powerful that all of those things that I, are so important to me that I spend all of my energy and effort in are like trash compared to what it's like to know Jesus some powerful stuff about knowing him. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Which, in which he's saying, listen, I'm not just your friend. I'm not just someone who's, who will bring the best out of you. I am someone who will guide you. I'm good. And I'm, and I'm not just a powerful guy who's trying to earn a million bucks. I'm a good shepherd. I'm here for you. So here, here it is. Why do we know Jesus? Why do we want to come to know him? Because to know him is to know truth. To know him is to know grace. To know him is worth more than everything else we're searching for. To know him is to understand the power of his resurrection. We'll get into some of that. To know him is to be able to make sense of our suffering. And to know him is to know him who guides us through life and death. And people around him that lived, this was their testimony of why you got to know this guy. So the question comes to us, okay, if we want to know him, how? Oh, no, one more thing. It's, it, goes, it goes even beyond this. It goes even beyond a good friend, someone who you got to spend time with. It goes into this. Some, some of his earlier followers were saying that Jesus is the, gro- is the gro- church's groom. Think about this. Let us rejoice and be glad and give praise to God for the marriage of Jesus, the Lamb, has come and his bride has made herself ready. Second Corinthians, I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. Okay, so it goes beyond simply coming to terms with the goodness and the worthiness of Jesus. It's like he's going to be the person with whom you find the most intimacy, the most profound sense of safety, security. He's going to see you in ways that no one else can see you. He's going to soothe you in your life in ways that no one else can soothe you when you're in pain. So we want to know Jesus. We want to come to know Jesus, to find intimacy with him, this guy who lived 2,000 years ago. And just a few little pointers here, 
piece of advice. How, how do we do this? How do we have intimacy with Jesus? Well, the first step is to open your heart to him. Living a life of intimacy with Jesus is a life of continually over and over and over again, opening your heart to this guy who we believe is sitting on the throne of God in heaven. But if you've never done that for the first time, now's the best time as ever. You've got to have a first time where you say to Jesus, I don't understand you. I don't understand the world that you came from. But you know what? Something about you being king makes sense of my life. Something inside me burns when I hear that you are the one who can make sense of my life in the way no one else can. And if, if, that, if you're burning inside like that, open up your heart and all you've got to do is in your own way say to God, to Jesus, Jesus, I'm open to you. I don't know what that means, but I'm open to you. I invite you this morning during the final two songs or during <coughs> communion. If that's you, pray that prayer and let me know or let someone know that you did that. Because uh, this is a community of people. Um, I'll just jump to point four. Hang out with people who know him. There's, there's some of us who've been getting to know Jesus for 20, 30 years, 40, 50, 60. Some people for 80 years have been coming to know Jesus. Hang out with them. Get some friends who know Jesus. We have home groups here that we're starting up. This Thursday night is a home, Discover Home Groups dessert night, which is to say, come on out, and I'll tell you more about what that means to get in a home group. Be around people who know Jesus. Well, to study him. Simply Jesus is a book. Nursery 120. Study him. Simply Jesus is a book that I recommend. Go to Google. Simply Jesus. I'm basing this 42 weeks of sermon series lightly on the structure of that book. Simply Jesus. But study him. The book of, if you don't want to read a book about Jesus that are, that's written recently, start reading one of the books about him in the Bible, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if, if I would suggest something, start with John. If you want to know Jesus and who he is, start with John. Read through John and come to, come to learn about who he is there. Pray to him. Find some time in your life in the morning where it's like you pray to Jesus. Jesus, I want to know you. And you know what he'll do? He'll reveal himself to you in graciousness and in fullness. Um, now here's the thing. Serve him. Jesus, Jesus not only calls us to sort of enjoy his presence, he also calls us to join him because he's continuing to heal the world, continuing to make it a holy and healed, healing place. So heal up yourself. Get healed of the things that you need healing from. He will heal you. And join him in his healing work. Learn what it is to heal others around you rather than keep inflicting more and more wounds in the world. This is intimacy with Jesus. And keep coming back. Come back to this series. If you don't know Jesus, if you want to know Jesus, we're going to be talking about this type of thing for another year. Come back, and I guarantee, in a year time of listening and investing and doing a number of these things, you will find yourself closer to this person who will make the best sense out of your life than anyone can. It's a promise. That's how much I trust in his ability to teach you. Following Jesus, that's what we're doing this year. And as we, as we think about these things, as we think about this man who lived 2,000 years ago, who's in a family in a particular place, who now millions worship out Lord, just like the Passover, he tells us during that same meal, when, when you meet together every week, week in, week out, now do the Passover meal every week, but then a bit differently. Remember that this is my body that will be given for you, and my blood which has been shed for you. So... I would invite us this morning, friends, to come up to the table when it's time. 
Take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and remember that he is the one that is here and close and ready to embrace you and ready to bring you up into his presence. And maybe just a simple prayer of, God, I don't know what this means, but I want you. Jesus, I want you in my life. I want to know you and, uh, and take in his body and blood and make it, make it part of your very DNA structure today. That's the beauty of ingesting this meal. So uh, the table is set here, and everyone here is welcome.